Good morning, everyone. Friends, let's look at the scriptures. Our first reading uh, from the great prophet Isaiah uh, is part of the seven uh, suffering servant songs, as we would call it. And it becomes important. Um, my friends, I know I kind of harp about the English translation uh, of our scriptures. Um, but when, we, when one understands the Greek and the Hebrew, uh, it has a little bit, some nuances that are missing. So we see uh, from the prophet Isaiah, the Lord is pleased to crush him in his infirmity. When we hear that, we hear that word please, and it almost makes it out that God is some kind of, is weird. And, but that's not how the Greek translates it. The, um, what's going on, it's about uh, reparation, and it's about um, um, the one who is due something because he has been sinned against uh, is going to have his uh, compensation. And uh, so the Lord is pleased. That word is not pleased. It means uh, God who has been insulted by uh, humanity uh, finally is going to have his just due. And so uh, the, the way it's going to happen is going to happen through this infirmity, this crushing. And uh, it goes on to say this person will give his life as an offering for the sins of the world. Uh, and the descendants then of that person uh, will have a long life. And it goes on, because of his affliction, he shall see the light and fullness of the days and through his suffering. And my servant shall justify. The word justify in the Greek means to be declared innocent. So through his sufferings, not only will he be declared innocent, but all whose sins he pours upon himself will be. It's us. It's talking about us. And their guilt he shall bear. He will take on. In Jesus' time, one was able to replace themselves with another. So if my brother were in prison, I could go to the prison guard and say, I will, be, I will replace him with myself. Or uh, if they had enough money, I will give you the money and pay for everything, release him. So it's a, uh, this feeling about this type of reparation. Uh, and uh, this helps us to understand what Jesus is talking about in the gospel. Uh, when we move to the letter to the Hebrews, the author we assume is Paul, of course. And he says, since we have a high great priest, there is only one priest. Jesus Christ. There are no other great priests. There's only him. And he has passed through the heavens. Paul is trying to get your attention. And who is this priest? Jesus, the Son of God. And he said, let us hold fast to our confession. What confession is he talking about? The confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that he is high priest and there is no other, and that he and he alone has ransomed himself because of our sins. And then it goes on, Paul's like, and we do not have this high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has similarly been tested. This is a reference to not only the 40 days in the desert that Jesus was tempted, but also throughout all of the Jesus of Nazareth, throughout his whole life, Satan harassed him and tormented him and continue to tempt him, even to the last minute when he uses the gladiator and says, if you're him, come on down from there. The difference is Jesus never gave in to it. 
This is what it means when it says, but he was without sin. We're different. We fail. Temptation comes and we are weak. But Paul says, but you can now confidently approach the throne of grace. The throne of grace is a throne of God. You can come before God's throne now confidently because of this high priest, not because of what you and I do. If you and I could have done something, Jesus wouldn't have to come. But because of him, because of his offering, because of his reparation, because of his suffering, and there are different types of suffering, and one of them has this purge to it, has this redemptive quality to it, and this is the one that the prophet Isaiah is referring to. And so because of his, we are able to approach now this throne of grace because it's pretty. Is that what Paul said? No. He said to receive mercy and that you will find grace in your time of need. So we are able now to approach the throne because of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, high, great priest, because of his sacrifice. And this helps us to understand what's going on in the gospel. And with the gospel of Mark, it's important to understand some of the words he's using. And he uses the word cup. Now, you guys know what a cup is. A cup is put in front of you. You pick it up and you drink from it. But cup here, uh, the head of the household in Jesus' time is the father. And the father appropriates food and drink to his family. He controls all these things. So he's talking about his father. The cup that is given then is, comes from God the Father, and it refers to a fate given by God, in this case to Jesus of Nazareth, his son. And uh, it is appropriated by God. Jesus refers to baptism. Now, we think as Christians, immediately baptism, pouring water over your head, that's not what Jesus is talking about. This is the Hebrew uh, word being used. And baptism here is a task that is given. Uh, and in, in this case, it is a bathing He's going to be bathed in suffering for our sins to repair the damage that has been done. And he will exchange himself, uh, uh, as the first reading says, as, uh, and be to declare us innocent. Not him, he's innocent already, but to declare us innocent. And um, later, Jesus, so in this gospel, Jesus is talking about suffering and service and um, He's telling uh, the apostles, which uh, I told the folks at 8.30, I can under understand the frustration Jesus probably has uh, with the apostles because they're just not getting it. He just told them they're, he's going to die, and James and John in Mark's gospel comes up and says, we want you to put us in power. <laughs> That's your response to what I just said? They're going to kill me? And you want to be put in power. Now, Mark lays it all out plain and simple for us. He does not attempt to make things pretty. Matthew does. Matthew says, James and John's mother asked. <laughs> this was a little tension. between. Yeah, Matthew's like, it was mom who did it. But Mark is like, no, it was them. They went up to him. And then it gets worse. The other ten, we are told, have self-righteous indignation. They got upset. They got upset because James and John were being so rude to Jesus and insensitive? No, because they think Jesus is going to do it. And darn it, I should have said it first. You see, so 
I can also see and understand the frustration of the apostles because Jesus is not what they expect. And because their expectation is not being met, they're frustrated. Do you guys know what that's like? Yeah, I think you do, especially in this time. So I'm looking at both where Jesus, but I'm looking to Jesus because in his frustration, he doesn't yell at them. He says, come here. I want to talk to you about discipleship. I want to talk to you about power. And in this, he uses the word exousia. And exousia is to subjugate someone by political force or by emotional uh, subversions. And he's using it. He said, now you know that those rulers do this. Don't do that. He said, instead, I want you and the he uses, we call, in English, it's service, 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 service. But in the Greek, it's diakonos. Deacon, diakonos. Diakonos, its literal translation is waiter. Like a waiter in a restaurant. You're going to do that, is what he said. You know, I can only imagine the look on the apostle's face. We're going to do what? <laughs> yeah, that's really different, Jesus. Because you can see the frustration. But I look to Jesus to see what is his reaction to being frustrated. And he calls them and says, let me talk to you about what we're going to do. A few times that Jesus contrasts the world's standards by his own, as he does in the Gospel of Mark today. Jesus, the Son of God, the eternal high priest, empties himself because this Gospel is also about having humility and humbleness. He empties himself of all of his majesty and all of his glory and then ransoms himself for you and I. He gives up everything for you and for the will of his Father. You see, we want our will done. Let my will be done. My, 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 me, me, me. Jesus was always about his Father. Let my Father's will be done. Even in Gethsemane, we hear the cup again. Father, this cup may pass me by. No. Then let your will be done, not mine. Jesus put all of you will. Jesus of Nazareth, Son of Man, is the title he uses. That means a human, because he's fully human. He said, the Son of Man will ransom himself over. He put all of his resources, all of his talents, as we would understand it, at our disposal for our salvation, for our redemption. But we don't do that. We use all of our resources for our own good. Let my will be done what I want done. I will use my resources and my talents for me. And Jesus shows us the greater way. We think we deserve everything, comfort, honor, majesty, and we demand it. I see it in the way, because of the word diakonos, I see it in a restaurant when the patron comes in and belittles the waiter and makes demands of the waiter and treats the waiter with disrespect because he is a servant. I see it in the customer service field. I'm bringing this to our reality now. 
where people treat others with such self-righteous indignation and mean-spiritedness with ugly words. Where's the courage in that? It does not take courage to tear anyone down. That's, I heard a very funny expression, that's a feeble attempt of a weak mind to express itself. <laughs> I just laughed when I heard that. But it's true. What takes courage is for you to reach your hand across to your enemy. What takes courage is for you to love in the face of hatred. That takes courage. That takes greatness. That takes grace from God. Jesus is always about his Father. My Father's will. Let my Father's will be done. My Father wants. What does his Father want? The Old Testament tells us, I desire mercy and forgiveness and compassion, not your burnt offerings. Kindness. He desires kindness. And not only towards him, but towards each other, who are his children. Jesus was faithful to his Father. And this reading from Mark's Gospel most eloquently displays the humbleness of Jesus Christ, the one who created all things. And when he speaks about his passion and his death and his resurrection, today's passage echoes the prophecy of the great one, Isaiah, in the first reading. And Jesus goes into great detail. Mark does a play-by-play -play for us about what will happen, the unjust condemnation, the physical torture, the emotional abuse that Jesus will suffer, the mockery, and then finally the execution. And Jesus knows what's going to happen. He does not run from it. He walks towards it. He does not complain to his Father, but walks to it. In this, it shows that everything he does, everything he will suffer, he does so willingly. And for our benefit, he benefits nothing from it. But we do. And at the same time, gives his Father what is due his Father. Jesus became incarnate and lived and died for our sake, and he had no self-centered agenda. I wish I could say that. I'm working on those things. He came to serve and to give his life for others. That is the way of our Lord, and that is the same way that his disciples should be acting also. I'm not talking about the 12. I'm talking about the 200 sitting in the pew here. You are to be the same as your master, to be kind. Jesus' constant teaching was that his followers must be humble and that they must be willing to serve. Any one of you who aspires to greatness, Jesus said, must serve the rest. That word, diakonos, waiter. Whoever wants to be first must serve the needs of others by being their slave. And that is an ugly word, <laughs> slave for us. Jesus not only told us that, but he taught us by his example. And uh, as his disciples, we need to do and be about the same thing and do what he did. And we do this today in different ways, of course. And we, we try and help people. We acts of charity, we call it, uh, corporal works. And uh, 
comforting the sorrow and offering forgiveness. And there's another one that in this time in our world that is overlooked and it is a simple thing that we can do that falls under Christian charity and that is simply to think and to speak with and of others with kindness. But there's so much hatred and so much ugly words and it can be remedied with kindness. That is also of Christian discipleship and service. And my friends, I don't often speak stories about uh, outside from the scriptures. I try to stay with them, but um, this one deals with St. Francis of Assisi indirectly. St. Francis of Assisi, his confreres, his first, his first disciples, as they would say. Um, there are two of them that stand out in history, Brother Bernard and Brother Leo. And um, Brother uh, Leo had what we call Lucretian. He was given a vision. And uh, I have to read it. So it, uh, it is said that Brother Leo was given a vision, and the vision he saw was a large group of Franciscan friars in heaven. <laughs> now, first, of course, I would question that vision, but, <laughs> but okay, all right. The, um, and he said all of them were in beauty, but one of them shined brighter than the other. And Brother Leo asked, what is this? What is this? Now, who is that? And um, in the Lucretian of the dream, uh, the answer was, it is Brother Bernard. And this is the reason why God has rewarded him with greater glory. Because while on earth, he always thought and spoke well of others. If he happened to meet a poor man on the street, for example, he would say to himself, Bernard, there is a person who bears poverty better than you could ever do. If Bernard met a rich man dressed in gold and fine clothing, he would say, now there is a person perhaps who is suffering greatly in the heart and has learned how to be poor in spirit much better than you, Bernard. You getting it? Everyone he encountered, he didn't encounter in hostility and anger, but with peace and put them first. Putting others first in thought and words, as Brother Bernard learned to do, is spiritual and takes courage. And it takes grace. And it is part of the commandment that God has, uh, through his Son, has told us. You are to love others. Jesus said, Oh, as I have loved you, will you do this? And my friends, and this leads me into, um, even to this day, Jesus remains humble. He is our King and our Savior and our Redeemer. He is the Lord of Lords. And at every Mass, He still comes to us in great humility, in Holy Communion, not wrapped in royalty or amidst trumpet blasts of seraphim and cherubim, but under the appearances of bread and wine. That's pretty humble. And He does it for you that you may eventually share in the divine life of the Holy Trinity. And we forget this. He doesn't just put food in our belly, but gives us this spiritualness. And my friends, with that story of St. Francis's confreres, you know, I went on, I told you guys I was leaving and I was going on an adventure. And some people said, well, why didn't you just say a vacation? Well, in hindsight, 
I understand now why I called it an adventure. And the goal for me was to reconnect with two very good friends. But now in hindsight, I see that God's hand was in it. He kind of hijacked my vacation. <laughs> that I could travel to three countries so easily without any money. It's amazing. And on the plane, I should have been careful because my friend said, what is it that you want to do? And I said, I want to watch people. I want to see people. Well, someone was listening. The flight attendant? No. God was listening. And immediately, John, the Gospel of John, came to mind. What are you looking for? You see, what I didn't tell you guys is it had been rough for me before I left. And I was pretty beaten up. You're not supposed to know that because I'm your pastor. <laughs> but I was. And I just wanted to go and see and to look. And that gospel passage, what are you looking for? Well, I was looking for all the things that were dark. And if that all is what you look for, that is what you will find is darkness. So as I traveled to three countries, that's what I saw. People being mean, speaking ill of each other with hatred in their hearts. But I also encountered times of light. And this is where God intervenes. And there are no coincidences with him. One of the things I wanted to... I absolutely wanted to do was go to the Jewish ghetto. And that word has a, that's a very bad word for us. But the Jewish ghetto is a very ancient community in Rome. And my friends wanted to do all the touristy things, and that was great, but I needed to do this. And I showed up in the ghetto. And it was an afternoon, and I will never forget it in the midst of the bustling 4 p.m. business, I watched a very little old lady, obviously impoverished, poor, with a sign around her neck. And I watched people ignore her, me included. I was sitting at a table in a cafe, watching. And that Gospel of John, what are you looking for? And then I watched a young boy, probably no older than you, walk up to her, stop her, hug her, kiss her hands. He opened her hands and put the money into her hands and closed it. And just as a young man does, he waved goodbye. 
I watched to see where the young man went. Into the arms of his father. What are you looking for, Father Mark? Peace. God showed me peace. He showed me kindness. He showed me the remedy to a pandemic that is greater than COVID. Indifference, hatred. He showed me what the vaccine is. He showed me the remedy. I do not belittle or, or make light of COVID. I encountered a pandemic in three countries. A pandemic of powerlessness and hopelessness, which led to frustration, which led to anger and hatred of word and action towards people. But then God showed me the remedy, kindness. And that is in our hearts. We are the vaccine, if you will. You say I'm playing on the... I will never forget that. And that is not a coincidence. I went, and it was a good vacation, but God hijacked it. <laughs> but he also knew my heart was troubled and hurting. And all I was beginning to see was the darkness. And he showed me the light again. Show me what needs to be done. So I'm grateful, yes, to my friends too, but to God for listening and then showing me. The little boy became, as the cup is a symbol, a symbol of hope for that country. For if that is the generation that is coming, we're going to be great. We're going to be good. We can do the same things. You and I are called to be ambassadors of God. Ephesians chapter 5. Be imitators of God, beloved children. Imitators of his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. He goes on to say, do not immerse yourselves in silliness and suggestive talk, which is out of place, but instead have a heart of thanksgiving. Live in the light. In Ephesians 5, line 15, it goes on to say, watch carefully then how you live. Not as foolish persons, but as wise ones. Making the most of the opportunity. This is the tricky word here. In the Greek, opportunity means redemption. Are you catching this? The first reading was about redemption. Jesus is talking about redemption. Paul is saying, make the most of redemption. It's a two-way, uh, how he, our redemption, take advantage of the redemption Jesus Christ has given you. And at the same time, it's an invitation to enter into the ministry of redeeming that the apostles and the disciples are called to help Jesus with because he asks for the help, not because he needs it. But we are called into that ministry also. Not in the way he, he's the only one who can redeem, but he asks us to enter into it with him. And he goes on to say, because the days are evil. What does that mean? 
My friends, what it means is culture does not remain neutral in its morality. That's what it means. It don't, don't try to go too deep with that line. That's all it means. And it says, address each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and playing to the Lord in your hearts. Greet each other with peace. Giving thanks always for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. God desires that we act in kindness. There's a pandemic, but not the one we hear so much about now. One of hatred, of hopelessness. Within you, is the remedy. Within you is the vaccine. Administer it. Kindness. Yes. Someone said, Father, I'm like, nope, I'm not playing any political games with you. I'm using the metaphors to my advantage. We can do this. Let us treat each other with kindness, with love, with respect, and stop tearing each other down Move away from the fear, because that is what I believe led to the hopelessness and the powerlessness which created that anger and hatred in the people. I'm going to try every day to do what God does, to look at the world with its great potential, with its great light because of him, with its great hope. I wasn't doing that before. I was beginning to slip away from that. So I'm thankful for my friends who, of course, they're totally oblivious to what was going on. Uh, but for me, uh, it became that time uh, of great grace. And uh, I prayed for all of you while I was gone. And now I've shared with you. Now, in hindsight, I understand why I didn't refer to it as vacation, but an adventure. <laughs> and it's okay when God hijacks your vacation. Uh, I had a great time, but he, he showed me what needed to be shown to me and remedied my heart. So I share that with you, hoping that you will pray and you'll move and act in kindness. The world needs kindness. It's a frustrating place right now, filled with a lot of anger, a lot of misconceptions, a lot of expectations not being met. Let us do what Jesus did. Talk with kindness and act in kindness. Amen? It ends with a little, with a young man, I'll call him a young man, he looked like he was seven, who approached the woman. He could have simply thrown the money at her. He could have just simply put it in her cup. But he acknowledged her. He saw her and acknowledged her presence by what he did, by hugging her, kissing her hands and opening her hand. In that gesture, he said, you matter. You matter. Let us be imitators of God in his kindness and mercy and love.